Well, um, as you're sitting there, you can start turning to Luke chapter one. That'll be where we uh, will be preaching, uh, where I'll be preaching from this morning. And as I prayed, we'll be concluding our church's Advent series, which we've called Advent through the Old Testament prophets. The final prophet that we'll consider this morning is John the Baptist. Now, you may already be wondering, John the Baptist is in the New Testament, Robert. I'm aware, uh, and we'll talk about that in just a second, but our final prophet is John the Baptist. If you uh, turn to Luke chapter 1, you can stand for the reading of God's Word. The reason we stand, you may wonder why we do that each week. The reason we stand, I'll tell you, is that uh, we're a church that has a high view of God's Word. We have a high view of Revelation. And this word that we read this morning is God speaking to us. It's as if God were to peel back the ceiling above us right now and speak directly to us. That's what we have this morning, is the true word from the true living God. So when I read, when I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and I ask that you respond with, thanks be to God. We're going to read Luke 1, 5 through 17. Our focus this morning will be on 13 through 17. Beginning in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call him, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wise to the wisdom of the just." and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is the word of the Lord. You may sit. As you're sitting, turn to Malachi. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament. Chapter 4 is the last chapter of the Old Testament. And we will together read the last words of the Old Testament. Over 400 years have passed since the last prophet. Over 400 years and no new word from God, no prophets, no angelic proclamations, 
the people of God surely were thinking what the last prophet Malachi was saying to them, which we will read right now. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Malachi writes, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Imagine for a second, hundreds of years, longing, waiting to hear from God in silence. When will you come, O Lord? When will this Elijah come and be among us? When will you establish your kingdom in Israel? We are waiting for you, God. Bring your kingdom to us. This long drought was coming to an end. God was about to open the heavens and send this longed-for blessing to his people. And that story begins with Zechariah. Zechariah, as we're, we just read, is a, a priest of God. He's a, a country priest of no notoriety, simple priest who'd been serving God his whole life. He may have been somewhere between 60 to even 80 years old, so he'd been serving in the temple for many, many decades at this point. And we find him in the story on duty serving at the temple. Now, at this time, there would have been many thousands and thousands of priests serving in the temple at any given time. Anywhere from 8,000 upwards to 20,000 priests. So the gift to go into the temple of the Lord and serve in any special way was quite a privilege. One that brought a lot of honor, but one that not many had the opportunity to even do. And of all the tasks a priest could do, offering the incense in the holy place was the most important. The groups of priests who were on duty would gather together before the hour of incense, and they would cast lots among them and see who would be the one that's chosen to go into this holy place and perform this holy task. And we know that it fell this day on Zechariah. This was his first time lighting the, uh, burning the altar of incense, and we know that because in the Mishnah it says that a priest could only do this once in his lifetime. What an awesome opportunity. So Zechariah enters this holy place, this, this room that we've talked about before, right? And he goes in, and he goes into the curtain, and it's not a very big room. To his left, he sees a golden lampstand, which it's giving off flickering light, filling, filling the space. To his right, there's a table with bread on it called the table of showbread. In front of him would have been the altar of incense, and right behind that would have been a giant curtain, magnificent, really art, with a golden cherubim etched into the, into the fabric. Imagine how that must have felt for Zechariah to say, after all of these years, God has granted me this opportunity to be here and to offer up the uh, altar of incense, a, a symbol of God's people's prayers, a fragrance offering to the living God. So Zechariah does his duty. He burns the incense. I'm sure he was enjoying every moment of it prayerfully. And something unexpected happens. 
an angel of the Lord appears in this holy room, and we're told that Zechariah is immediately filled with fear when he sees this holy servant of God. Why is this angel here? He must be thinking. That fear must have been, I hope I didn't mess something up, and God is about to strike me dead. The angel, we're told, is Gabriel, and he brings good news. And there are four things I want to consider quickly this morning with you that was hard for this fearful priest to believe. Four promises from this angel, four prophecies to Zechariah. Now, we'll spend most of our time in verses 13 through 17, but I'll give you the four things up front. I won't make you wait. The four things that we learned from this prophecy of Gabriel are these, that John the Baptist was the prophesied forerunner of Christ. We'll learn about the child's birth, the child's blessing, the child's bent, or the child's character, and the child's business, his mission. I alliterated it because I'm a, I found out I'm a Southern Baptist, so let's go. The child's birth, the child's blessing, the child's bent, and the child's business. Let's begin in verse 13, the child's birth, a son named John. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. What prayers were heard? It's a great question to start with. Well, maybe you're like me, and from the plain reading of a text, you're thinking, well, it must be prayers for a child, right? And certainly it could have been. Uh, in this culture, married couple desired to have kids. Kids were a, a sign of honor and blessing from God, and they still are. But in a double way, it would have brought some judgment from your community if you were not able to have children, they would have been looked at and thought of as, well, maybe they weren't righteous, or maybe God doesn't honor and love them and want to bless them in this way. So Zechariah and Elizabeth surely would have been praying to God, please bless us with a child, a son, a daughter, please, Lord. How long would they have prayed for a child? Question, how long ago did they stop praying for a child, being around 60 to 80 years old? Now, it may have been this prayer that the angel, Zachar- angel Gabriel is talking about. It could be a different prayer. The prayer of Zechariah and other priests before they offer up the incense was a prayer that went something like this. And we have these prayers recorded. Oh God, when will you send the Messiah and establish your kingdom? There were many prayers offered up by the priests daily in preparation for their duties. And among this was, God, when will you come and establish your kingdom in Israel? Now, I believe that Gabriel was for sure at least referring to this prayer that God would receive daily, that the Messiah is coming. And the answer to that prayer is, you will have a son and you will name him John. The elderly couple, both advanced in years, were, to- uh, were told uh, were barren for a purpose, that at the right time, God would give them their desired child. 
And every time that a child is proclaimed in the Bible, we know that that child will be significant in the history of God's redemption. We remember Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 17. They also were too old to conceive a child. But God gives them a son and makes a great nation when Isaac is born. Maybe you also think of the angel Gabriel pronouncing the birth of another son. Immediately following John, Jesus, the angel pronounces another miracle birth to a virgin girl and gives her the name also. And like Isaac and Jesus, the parents are given the name before the child's even conceived. Their child was to be named John, which means Yahweh has been gracious. God is gracious indeed. Amen? Let's continue on. In verse 14, we learn of this child's blessing. John will make many glad. Verse 14 says, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. The child will be a blessing to many, we're told. Well, certainly he was a blessing to his parents already. Zechariah, already filled with fear, must have at least received a little bit of of, uh, joy in hearing that God was going to give him a son after all of these years. A child hoped for for so long. Who could have imagined that this was the child that Malachi spoke of 400 years ago? Elizabeth rejoices, we're told, in Luke 1, verse 25. She says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, and to take away my reproach among the people. John would bring great joy to his community. We're told in verse 58 that uh, Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. The child brings honor to this family, but the miracle brings a greater honor. They are witnessing a true blessing from God. And joy, as we heard last night, joy is always associated with the coming of the Messiah. And John being the forerunner would naturally bring gladness to a long waiting people. Let's continue in verse 15, the child's character, the child's bent. John would be set apart from the world and filled with the Holy Spirit. We read, for he will be great before the Lord And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will be great before the Lord. Oh, that all parents would pray this of their children. I long that my sons would be great before the Lord. This is a designation of John from God. His greatness doesn't come from a notable birth, It doesn't come from an inheritance of riches. It doesn't come from a premier education. Rather, it comes from the purpose for which he was born. His greatness is tied to his mission. The angel now isn't the only one that proclaims the greatness of John. You may remember Jesus himself also speaks of the greatness of John the Baptist. In Matthew 11, 11, The very words of Jesus say, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Really? We've been studying in Hebrews 11, which is the great hall of faith. We've been reading about 
great men and women of the Old Testament and how faithful they were, how great they were, you're saying that John the Baptist was greater than the patriarch Abraham? John's greater than the lawgiver Moses? Or King David? Or the prophets Elijah? Isaiah? How? How can this be? Well, unlike the former prophets who were pointing forward to the day that the Messiah would come, John welcomed him in the flesh. Not only that, he baptized him and initiated the ministry of Christ, a ministry of reconciliation between God and man. We're told that he is to avoid alcohol and that he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a nod for sure to the Nazarite vow. Maybe you think of Samson who also took this vow. And the idea is sure that John the Baptist would be set apart from the world. He would not be concerned with things of this world. He would not be consumed with distractions of the day. But he'd have a primary mission, a singular focus. That is to promote Christ as the Messiah. Ephesians 5, Paul tells Christians, us today, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're told that John was filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. This is evident in that wonderful story when Mary comes in Luke chapter 1. We're really in Luke 1 today. When Mary comes to visit her relatives, she's pregnant with a miracle child named Jesus. Elizabeth's pregnant with a miracle child named John. And when Mary greets her family and Elizabeth hears the greeting from Mary, we're told that the baby leaps with joy in the womb. The Spirit of God filled this child even before he was born. This is unprecedented in the scriptures, but it certainly displays the love, the power, and the grace of God. The power of God will be over John in his ministry from the beginning. And lastly, let's consider the business of John, or the mission of John. John will turn many back to God and make them ready for Jesus. Amen. Let's read verses 16 and 17. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, this is one of the primary purposes, the primary businesses of Old Testament prophets. What is that? The mission and ministry of repentance, to turn God's people back to God, to turn their eyes away from idols back to the true living God that provides everything. Not only provides everything, but promises blessing for honoring him. We're to think of Malachi 4, 5, and 6 as we read earlier. That behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before you on that great and awesome day of the Lord. But John the Baptist is no reincarnation of Elijah. We don't believe in reincarnation. We believe that Elijah and and John both had unique and individual souls and spirit from God. Rather, John is to come in the same spirit, in the same 
business, the same ministry, with the same zeal as Elijah did. Let me remind you quickly of Elijah, the prophet of the Old Testament. Elijah was born during the time that the northern and southern kingdoms had split. God had built this kingdom of Israel into a great, great kingdom under uh, King David and later after, under his, king, uh, his son, King Solomon. But King Solomon, towards later in his life, turned away from God. And God's judgment came upon the kingdom, and the kingdom was split in two. The northern kingdom is called uh, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. Now, the northern kingdom generally was more unfaithful than the unfaithful Judah to the south. So God sent Elijah to the northern kingdom to preach the, uh, the ministry of repentance. He goes to during a really hard time, too. The king during that time was Ahab. He was uh, married to a very wicked woman named Jezebel. And they had led many of God's people into idol worship, to worship the false god Baal. So God sends Elijah in the power of God to do a contest with Baal. They go to Mount Carmel, and Elijah tells King Ahab to, to bring all of the prophets of Baal up to the top of the mountain, and we'll see whose God is real. So they get two bulls, and they slaughter them, and they, they make two altars. And, they, and Elijah, really mocking him, mocking them in a really funny way during this time, says, you go first. Let Baal prove himself among all of God's people in Israel. So they start praying and dancing and crying out. Hour by hour goes by, nothing changes. So they start screaming out louder. Elijah's mocking them. Maybe scream louder. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's in the bathroom, he says. So he, they keep going. They start cutting themselves even to, to make a, their own flesh a sacrifice that this God would show up and prove that uh, Baal is the true living God. Nothing. Elijah, knowing the true power of God, says, go grab some water. I want to really show you what the true God can do. Soak, soak the sacrifice. They do. They soak it. Water's pulling up around the altar. Do it again. All right, so they get more water. They fill it up again. The wood soaked. The sacrifice, the bull soaked. There's literally water around it. Do it again. More water. They do it again. Elijah lifts up a simple prayer. Fire falls from heaven. Consumes the sacrifice, consumes the wood, laps up all of the water. And what does Israel do in that moment? It says they fall on their face in repentance. They ask for forgiveness. They turn back to God. That is the ministry of repentance. That is the spirit that John is to bring as a forerunner of Christ to God's people in Nazareth. John is to make ready for the Lord a people prepared his message in Luke chapter 3, just two chapters over, is this. Repent and be baptized. John's baptism is a baptism of repentance, a symbolic cleansing of one's sins. John's mission was to point people to their great need of a Savior who would very soon appear. John the Baptist, as the last Advent prophet, laid the groundwork as a forerunner for the mission that Christ set out on. 
And Christ's mission was successful. The kingdom of heaven is here. In Jesus' first advent, he came to set up his kingdom. And Jesus did that very thing. And he sets up his kingdom through redeeming grace. But Jesus did not set up a physical kingdom. You may be wondering with John the Baptist, you may be wondering with Zechariah, when, when will we see this kingdom? The kingdom that he sets up is a spiritual one. If it were physical, if Jesus did come in his first advent instead of a physical kingdom, the population of that kingdom would be one. Jesus alone, the only one worthy to enter into God's kingdom. But that wasn't his first mission. His first mission wasn't to set up the physical kingdom, but it was a spiritual mission. And the reason that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary was to be the one that we are not. He was the sinless and holy one before God. And then in his perfection, he took our sin, our sin and our unrighteousness and hung in judgment before men and before God and died as our sacrifice. All of this was to set up and establish his kingdom. His death was the means by which our real guilt is removed. He paid the debt that we owe God with his own blood. And and we're told that all who believe in this mission, this ministry of reconciliation from our Savior Jesus Christ, and we put our faith in that reconciliation mission, we through our faith, are considered worthy to enter the gates of Christ's kingdom. And get this church, Christ will come again. He will return to set up his physical kingdom on earth. This we call the second advent of Christ. Praise God, alleluia, and amen. So this is the good news. John the Baptist was a faithful forerunner of Christ. But what should we take as an encouragement from John's ministry, church? Let me make a connection, a pretty, a pretty cool one, I think. Let me, let me remind you one last time. This is the mission of John the Baptist. Listen to what I'm saying here and tell me if it sounds familiar. The mission of John the Baptist was to go into the world to preach repentance to baptize people, to prepare them for Jesus' coming and do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear it? That's our mission. That is our mission, church. The great commission that Christ gives us is to go to the ends of the earth, to preach repentance, to make disciples, to baptize them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, preparing God's people for his second coming, and do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice the similarities here between the birth of the mission of John the Baptist and the birth of the New Testament church. You could turn to Acts 1 as we consider it, as we close. Now Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. Luke gives us striking similarities between the birth and business of John the Baptist, and the birth and the business of the church. 
So let's turn to Luke, or, I'm sorry, Acts 1. We'll read just a few verses, starting in verse 4, and we'll go to verse 11. Speaking of Jesus, now this is, this is directly after Jesus' um, uh, death, burial, resurrection, and before he ascends. So this is that time in between where he rose again, he's with his disciples, and he's about to ascend to heaven. Listen to this. This is remarkable. And Jesus, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John, John the Baptist, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So here we see the birth of the church is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Good question. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Notice a couple similarities here I'll point out as we close. First, this idea of praying, longing for the, the kingdom uh, of, of, of Israel to be established by God. We have Zechariah praying for that. And we have uh, uh, Jesus' disciples asking him to his face, when will you establish the kingdom of Israel, Lord? Next, we see an appearance of an angel, Gabriel in the temple, and the two men in white robes, standing, giving them the good news of what is about to take place. We're both given prophecy or what to look forward to. John was to be filled with the Holy Spirit and turn God's scattered people back to God. Jesus says the church will be filled with the power of the Spirit, and the church will be Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth. Not only that, but we actually have the sermons from John the Baptist in the very first sermon of the church. John in Luke 3, as I said, Luke 3 verses 7 and 8, literally says, repent and be baptized. Immediately after the disciples of Christ were baptized by the Holy Spirit, they went out and preached the message of the kingdom of heaven. Peter does, in fact. And he preaches to many. And he preaches the gospel. And many hear it. And it says, in, 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 sorry, in Acts chapter 2, 37, it says they were cut to the heart. What will we do? What must we do? We murdered the Messiah. Guess what he says? Acts 2.38, he says simply, repent and be baptized. This can be sure, church, that we are the New Testament second advent prophets of God. May we be faithful as John the Baptist when we preach the gospel of Christ. 
as we wrap up this series on the Advent through the Old Testament prophets, as Christ has come, as he was foretold to have come, the Old Testament first Advent prophets did their work faithfully to the glory of God. Church, now it is our turn. For we are the living follow-up series for the second advent of Christ. And our mission is clear. Now as I really close, I just ask for, for one more minute. Just one more minute. I'd like to stand before you in the spirit of John the Baptist and the power of the Holy Spirit and share some good news with you. If you are here this morning and you feel tired and weary by this broken world, as I do, if you're here this morning and you're sad and you're broken by your inability to save yourself, if you're here this morning and you've been looking for God, but looking for God in all the wrong ways, not looking for the thing that you need most in this world, but looking for minor fixes, then Jesus has a message for you. He says, come to me. Give your burdens to Jesus. Trust him with your sins. Release your guilt to Christ. He has come to be your very personal Savior. You cannot save yourself from the wrath of God that is to come on those who are guilty before him. Instead, look to that Savior who came humbly and lowly on that first Christmas morning. Have faith in this Savior. That is the Christian Christian Christmas message. And Jesus is coming again to separate his children from his enemies on that day of judgment. On that day of judgment, where will God point you? Will you stand before your pure judge in your sins and in your fear before a holy and righteous God? Or will you run into his loving arms as you would a father and a savior whom you believed in before this day of judgment. Repent. Turn to Christ. Be baptized into the new life that only Jesus can deliver. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the gift of salvation that came through Jesus Christ in his first advent. We look forward to the day that you return. I pray that your people are prepared, that they're filled with joy at this second coming. I pray that we run into your arms gladly, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to fulfill the mission that you set us out in as the church. To preach a message of repentance and truth and grace. To make disciples of every nation to baptize them into the name, the singular name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.